Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. As Bon Jovi once famously said, Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. So that first part holds true for this Raptor season as they're at the 41 game mark, winning 27, going 27 and 14, which is projecting them to have 54 wins on the season. However, the second part is starting to fade away. We're getting healthier. We're looking better. The team is looking like we expected them to look at the beginning of the season. On this episode, we are going to talk a little bit about how the Raptors have done in the 41 games that they've played. We're going to play a little bit of true or false. And with me to do that is Adam Corsair of the South to Six podcast. Adam, my man, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks, man. Happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I can't believe the season is halfway over. That is crazy. I mean, you kind of reminded me of it before we went on air. But just to think that this Raptor season, rather, is halfway done, it's crazy. It is. It is fantastic. And to go 27 and 14 with... with the injuries that they've had and losing their best player last year with Kawhi Leonard. I think it's safe to say that this is a bit of a success story for the Raptors thus far. I would say so. I would say that once that LA series happened at the beginning of the year on that West coast swing um, and you know, people were dropping like flies, it's sort of been steady at that point in terms of injuries and how people have been missing time. But the Raptors have more than held their own, right? And I think a lot of people were holding their collective breaths here and saying, like, I wonder where the Raptors are going to finish. Are we now a seventh or an eighth seed? And lo and behold, we're still at the four. Um, I think it speaks to the real z- resiliency of this team. I think it speaks to the coaching of Nick Nurse. I know we'll break this all down in a bit. But, yeah, you got to be happy with the way they've been playing and you got to be happy with how they've been performing because it's been, it's been pretty outstanding. Absolutely. And like you said, they're fourth in the NBA's Eastern Conference. I mentioned projecting them to win 54 games right now. They're sitting with the second best defense, which I feel like has been the case for like the past five or six weeks. They're just kind of holding down the second best defense in the league. And after last night, last night's game against the Washington Wizards, they jumped from the 17th best offense to the 14th best offense. And like we talked about on your show last week, the rest of their schedule is pretty easy. So I wouldn't be shocked seeing the Raptors offense maybe get a little bit better, especially with the additions of Siakam Gasol and Norm Powell, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So now getting into a little bit of news, as we do every single week, the all-star voting as of Thursday, January 16th came out once again, the voting ends on the 20th. So guys go out and get voting for Siakam, Lowry, Van Fleet, anyone you want to see in the All-Star game from the Toronto Raptors. And with this return, Siakam jumped to second in the front court and overall voting in the East, which put him ahead of Joel Embiid. And he looks like he's a definite lock for the All-Star game despite missing 10-plus games. And Lowry jumped up to fifth, but doesn't look like he'll be able to make up any ground. He's about 400,000 votes away, 500,000 votes away from 
Derek Rose, who is in that four spot. So he'll probably get in as a reserve, depending on how the coaches vote. And another return that kind of came out that the NBA put out this weekend or Friday, the Raptors are fourth in most jersey sales this NBA season. They had no players on the team in the top 10 of jersey sales, but as a whole, the Raptors are fourth. And this kind of goes into what our first topic of discussion is going to be about, Adam. The Raptors won the first ever NBA Team of the Year award. So I was going to look back and see if it's always the team that wins the NBA championship, if, if it's always the team that has the most wins in the regular season or whatever over that calendar year. But this is the first one ever. So this is a very new thing to discuss, and it's a new thing for the NBA to give an award for. Does this make last year's championship season even more impressive to you? I think so. I think that, you know, given the fact that there's this wide array of recognition from the team when it comes to an award like think, I think it's special. Right. And maybe it is sort of something like, hey, you can't not have your your champions be the uh, the team of the year. You can't have the, the team that, you know, came out on top. It's sort of like reminiscent to the Christmas Day game. Right. You have to have your your champions, your champions on that game. So I guess in this way, you have to have your champions as the team of the year. But at the same time, the Raptors are deserving of it. Right. And I think that it, with the impressive wins against the 76ers, with the impressive wins against Milwaukee, um, I think that in and of itself proved that it, this could this was a, a, a very fantastic team and one to be remembered. Um, so, yeah, it makes it more impressive. It makes it more special, I think, as Raptors fans, that you can always chirp back to that and be like, yeah, we're, you know, team of the year. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And um, not only does it show like that they built a good product on the court, but also a like successful organization as a whole that from the top down, you know, something is is going right and their their business is going well and their marketing is going well and all that kind of stuff is is leading to i don't whether it's more fandom or more recognition by the u.s media just knowing how hard it is for a team from canada to get recognized by the espns or tnts of the world um it's kind of pushing them in that right direction and it's showing that not only are they getting recognized by like people in canada but also people around the league and of a league that is growing at such a fast pace it's like it's a really good sign for for the Raptors organization and it shows how good MLSE has been and and how how successful they've been in really creating a, a successful organization and a successful kind of fan base which is really cool but does the award give you more confidence in the organization going forward um, I mean, this may sound counterintuitive but no because I have full confidence in them as it is Right. Even without this award, I don't necessarily think my confidence was low or anything. I, th I think that it's obviously very high, you know, especially since Masai Ujiri's steering the ship here. Um, I don't know. I, th I think the award makes it more like just proud. I'm proud of the team for being recognized, you know, at that sort of level, because this is something we have known for a very long time. And it took them until winning a championship for everyone else to discover this, it seems. But, you know, in terms of whether or not this impacts my confidence in the organization, no, not really. Um, I think that this ship is steering correctly. I think that they know exactly what they want. And I know I think they know exactly how to get it right. And whether that be trade or via free agency, um, this team is hungry and this organization is hungry. They have tasted what it is to be champions. 
right? And you see, I mean, rather you saw the parade last year, the impact it has on the city and not just the city, the entire country. Um, I think that they want to maintain that sort of presence. They want to maintain that sort of success. So, no, I, I this... I guess counterintuitively, as I mentioned, this doesn't impact the way I feel about the organization. I, I have so much confidence in, in them as it is. Yeah, I agree. And like it, it just kind of validates the success and it validates the feeling of positivity that most people should have, at least towards the Toronto Raptors as an organization as a whole. Um, but at the same time, like if other organizations are no, like are noticing and, and kind of, recognizing what the team is doing right you've got to think that players around the league are noticing the same thing and the the big free agents whether it's a Giannis Antetokounmpo obviously that's the big name out there but any guys like that or, or the the mid-level guys who might be looking to go to bigger markets might look at the Raptors and say you know what obviously they're doing something right they've been doing something right for the past few years might entice free agents or people to give some more respect to the Toronto Raptors as a destination of sorts, which is kind of nice to think about. I'm hoping that's the case, but I mean, the glaring black eye on that is Kawhi Leonard, right? Like if, if yeah, that's, that's the true. case, Kawhi would have stayed, maybe would have stayed, but you know, maybe the being close to home is so impactful for him that, you know, we didn't stand a chance. I don't know. I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole again, but I do think that there are more eyes looking at the Toronto Raptors with respect and as a destination, whether that be for, you know, uh, front office members or whether that be for players. I do think now it's better to hope for uh, free agent signings. And I think the Raptors have a much better chance than previous years. So in that respect, yeah, I think you're right. So regardless of whether it, it, it improves our confidence, um, this was a really nice feat and it, it was a validating award to win as the Toronto Raptors. Not only did they win the championship, but they're getting recognized for their success in business and ticketing and sponsorships and all that, all the stuff that fans generally don't care about. However, it's still nice to see whether you care about it or not. It's still nice to see that title best NBA team of the year. It's, it's a pretty cool thing to see. We're going to move on from that topic, and we're going to talk about a couple of returns, as I mentioned from the top. Siakam Gasol and Norman Powell all returned from injuries after each missing about 10 games. In their absence, they were able to stay afloat. Which guys impressed you the most with the Siakam Gasol and Norm Powell injuries? So I don't want to take away from anything from any of the three. I think they're both, or rather all three of them are pivotal pieces for this team's success. But I don't know, like this may be, maybe it is the same as everyone else, judging from the the tweets and how people are responding <laughs> during games. But Norman Powell has been just so impressive, right? And yeah. I, I think I lean on Norm in this respect because with Pascal Siakam, we sort of expected this giant leap. And so seeing him play so well, Yes, it's after an injury, but still seeing him play so well and so relaxed, um, it's sort of what we anticipated. So like it's business as usual when it comes to that. And this the same vein as Marcus All. This is a vet, and I know he started off slow in the beginning of the year, and people were like, Well, he's playing drunk. Uh, he just looks so fatigued. <laughs> I think, you know, with the combination of the rest due to the injury and just rest in general really benefited him. So he's playing much like the Marcus All we saw in the playoffs. 
But with Norman Powell, like I don't know that we necessarily anticipated this level of play from him. It's something that we rather just hope for. So now that we're seeing it being displayed in front of us with so much confidence, right, and so much like precision, how many times throughout the past couple of years have we seen Norman Powell like drive up for a layup and miss or be so erratic with this finish that we're just like, yeah, it's Norman Powell. What are you going to do? I guess we're playing the Norman Powell drinking game and we get drunk by the second <laughs> quarter. You know, but now it's he, he's playing like a brand new player, right? He's playing like a, a, a beast, like a six man of the year award candidate. Um, so for me, Norman Powell has been by far the most impressive out of the three. Yeah, and you know, before the injury, everyone was noticing how well he was playing. He had a 33 point night against Orlando when everyone else kind of was shitting the bed. He had 23 against Miami in the same scenario where everyone else just wasn't really playing that well. 17 in Chicago, 22, 25, 26. You had all these games before the injury, and then all of a sudden he gets injured and in Detroit, and you're like, well, shit, is he going to be the same guy he was before that injury? And since coming back in the game against the Spurs, 20 points, in the game against OKC, 23, and the game against Washington, who, you know, he's basically playing against you and I out there, but yeah. 28 points for, <laughs> right, a, a game leading 28 points. And, I mean, it's it's very encouraging that the rest did him well and that he didn't lose anything. Because a lot of times in the NBA, you see guys – really hot before an injury and then as soon as they come back they can't get back into their flow for you know five six seven eight games and with the raptors i don't want to say struggling without all three of those guys it's nice to see an offensive player come back in and be as effective because we've seen with siakam he's been outside of the first quarter against san antonio he's struggled a little bit offensively he hasn't been as aggressive as maybe we'd like to see him and we obviously have talked plenty about how Gasol's offense in terms of scoring hasn't really been there all season long, except for last night's game against the Wizard. He was probably the best guy on the court out there. But you, you're you seeing this guy come in and be a spark plug off the bench and, and be a guy who can really, I don't want to say dominate offensively because I think that might be too strong of a word, but as close to dominate offensively as you can expect from a guy like Norman Powell. So I'm I'm there with you. I think Norman Powell has kind of like low-key taken a bigger step than everybody is realizing. And there's one guy that I want to kind of shout out uh, while they've been, while these guys have been injured, and that's Serge Ibaka. Just because, as I mentioned, the offense was struggling and it's been a topic of conversation on this podcast pretty much the entire season that the offense has been struggling. And one of the reasons as to why the Raptors were able to stay afloat and were able to put up, you know, a hundred points a night was Serge Ibaka averaging 18.1 points per game without Gasol shooting 44% from three, 54% from the field. And, you know, defensively, he didn't have the same impact, but, you know, able to make his own impact on the defensive end, just, you know, with his IQ, maybe not being the same as Gasol, his rim protection, maybe not being the same as Gasol, but being able to, to, to bring his own power and his own impact to the game uh, was something that really helped this team going into those games where maybe he wasn't, maybe, you know, they weren't expected to have a really good defense or have a really good offense just because of all the people that they were missing. Is there a guy that with those guys out that you've really enjoyed watching that maybe isn't going to be getting the same playing time now that they're all back? Yeah. Terrence Davis for sure. (laughs) You know, like we we touched on this uh, last week on my show, but, you know, to, after watching him last night, 
And again, it's against the Wizards, so how much stock can you really put into it? It doesn't seem like they're all trying. Maybe Isaiah Thomas is trying, but otherwise it doesn't seem like they're really giving that much of an effort. But Terrence Davis has just been a joy to watch. Right? He put up, I think it was a career high last night, 23 points. He finished with, with a plus 21. Um, mm. Ever since Nick Nurse roasted him uh, you know, in front of everyone in a, in a media scrum, he's just been hungry, right? And you know, given the fact that, I mean, Fred Van Vliet's supposed to come back tonight, um, I don't see the minutes being available for Terrence Davis unless something catastrophic happens. Knock on desk, that doesn't happen. But um, it, for me, it, this is a nice little cap to to the little short trip of Terrence Davis that we've been seeing. Um, he's been playing much better than Patrick McCaw. I don't think that's you know to the to the argument of anybody else listening to this right now. Shocking, except, shocking. Yeah, <laughs> unless Nick Nurse is a regular <laughs> listener to your podcast, um, Terrence Davis has been light years ahead of Patrick McCaw, but Patrick McCaw still seems to be getting these minutes. But hopefully that if there's going to be minutes to spare that aren't garbage time minutes, Terrence Davis is going to get these because, my God, he has been... This is an undrafted dude, right? You could say what you want about Patrick McCaw being a three-time champion, sure. Like, no one's resting... I mean, putting this on the back of Patrick McCaw, but Terrence Davis is, is an undrafted guy, completely under the radar, and is just making noise. And it might just be in Toronto that he's making this noise, because I'm sure with other you know teams and other fan bases, he's sort of an unknown. But still, like you got to admire the confidence, you got to admire the poise, you got to admire the determination of Terrence Davis to really like prove himself in the NBA right now. Yeah, and. You know, we could talk about Terrence Davis all day long just because how how impressive he's been a and how much of a pleasant surprise it's been to really watch him and how strong he is on on defense and and how impactful he is offensively at points and just the 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 effort he puts out there every single minute of the game is just a really nice thing to see. And I mean, I think it is going to be tough for for Nick Nurse to really make decisions. I know he said last night after the game that he you know, he can basically see himself giving minutes to 11 guys and giving, you know, 10 plus minutes to 11 different guys on the team, which, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to go about things. But at this point of the season, when the schedule is a little lighter and you have a back to back, I guess, in this scenario, you can really go out and, and you can experiment with lineups. You can experiment with certain players playing certain positions at, at different times. And we saw it in the past two games him playing the extra big lineup with Ibaka and Gasol. And I'm sure you're going to see more of that from Nick Nurse because, like we've said all year long, this team hasn't been healthy. What is this team going to be like when they are healthy? All this stuff. I think he's going to do the same thing he did last year, whereas he's just going to experiment. He's going to play certain guys with each other. He's going to play funky lineups to see how they work in different scenarios. He's going to probably play some really weird things that a lot of people on Twitter are going to hate and they're going to criticize him for. But that's just the type of guy Nick Nurse is. And hopefully that doesn't mean that Terrence Davis loses minutes to a Patrick McCaw or a Matt Thomas or or you can go down the line of guys. But, you know, if there's one thing that I think if there's one guy that should really stay in the rotation, even though they are getting, you know, Fred Van Fleet back, they just got Powell back and stuff. I think it is Terrence Davis, like you said, just because he is he is having that impact that you don't expect. And if anything if he's not, if he doesn't have a shot going, he's at least going to try hard, which is an impact in itself. So I really like that. Um, so lastly, on this topic of these guys returning from injuries, are they now, and they being the Toronto Raptors, the favorite 
for that coveted second seed in the Eastern Conference? Uh, I want to say, my heart wants to say yes. It, it, like now that Philly is sort of okay. like taking a back seat because of the Embiid injury and, you know, it doesn't look like they've had it all together to begin with, even with Embiid. Um, I want to say yes, but like, I'm hoping that a team like Miami falls down to earth because it seems like the second half of their schedule, the second half of the year rather, looks to be a little bit more daunting. So maybe they'll, you know, take a step back. Um, Boston has just been playing pretty well. So, you know, minus a couple games here and there this week, but Boston still has been playing rather well. I do anticipate them to be like maintain this pace and play just as well throughout the rest of the year. So the biggest obstacle you have in front of you is Boston as a Toronto Raptors fan. But uh, let's not you know forget like the Pacers are still kind of coming out of nowhere. And with Oladipo coming back, like they could make a lot of noise. You know, Brogdon's healthy and whatnot. So I don't I want to say yes. But would it surprise me if they still hovered within that third or fourth seed? It really wouldn't. But given the fact that, you know, Fred Van Vliet's coming back and we now have a fully healthy lineup moving forward. It's really tough to say. So, like, my heart wants to say, yes, yes, absolutely, they're the second seed in this East, no problem. But, like, my head has these guessing games with these other teams, and I'm, like, trying to be analytical about it and trying to, you know, stay in, on even ground here. So I want to say yes, but it's possible that they don't. I know that's a terrible <laughs> answer. You know, that's where I stand, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with they sh- should be the favorite just because, you know, with the combination of their week second half schedule, we've mentioned that a bunch on this podcast. These guys coming back, you know, the Siakam, they have they've been without him for a while. They're the Van Fleets who have been he hasn't been out as long, but Gasol and and Norman Powell, with them being back, I do think that Nick Nurse is going to play these guys not necessarily into the ground the way that he was at the beginning of the season, but play them a considerable amount with not as much rest just because I think they do know how important that second seed is going to be because you're not going to be playing the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round of the playoffs. If you get that second seed, you're not going to be playing one of the top six teams, which are obviously a much tougher matchup than the Nets or the Magic who are in the seven and eight seeds right now. I think they understand the importance of it and they're going to gun for that second seed because if the Raptors do make it to a conference finals this year, it is going to be one of the most impressive seasons that we've seen from this Raptors team, obviously outside of the championship, but with the expectations we had and with the, the, the loss of certain players and the loss of guys for 10 plus games, it is going to be a, a very surprising and shocking end to the season. And like you said, the, the Miami Heat are probably going to fall back just a little bit. I don't think they can keep it up. I've been saying that they're frauds all season long, and and I mean, I have been wrong up to this point, so I don't think anyone should listen to me on that, I guess. <laughs> the Sixers, obviously Embiid's out, but somehow they look better without him at points. The Celtics might fall back down to earth, and you know the Bucks are probably going to win 70 games. Well, I mean, probably is my, maybe a strong word, but they're going to win about 66 to 67 to 70 games kind of thing. And there's no catching that one seed, but that, that second seed in the East is so important that Nick Nurse knows and he will probably go for it. And they're going to play a lot just to get these guys back into rhythm and back into playing with each other just because they really have only played 
you know, two or three games fully healthy. And that is an important thing. And and we know Nick Nurse too like to play guys and like to work them back into rhythm. So I would be shocked if they didn't go for it. And if, you know, they did a little bit more of the quote unquote load management like they did with Kawhi last year with a guy like Siakam or a guy like Gasol or Lowry or Van Fleet, just because they've already missed so much time already this season. Yeah, I can, I would be surprised too. And, you know, it's, it does speak to the importance of that, you know, at least a top four seed to have the home court advantage. Yeah. At least in the first round. So I don't think that's in jeopardy at all. Like, I don't, I don't see the Raptors falling out of fourth at, you know, the very worst. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, given the fact that this team has been, you know, semi rested, at least some of the main players due to injury, I think that was beneficial. And look, you said the ease of the schedule coming up, plus the all-star break coming up. Like there is a lot of time in between that this team can get healthy, get rested. Um, I think they're going to be just fine. And it wouldn't surprise me if they surged up to that number two spot. It really wouldn't. And that would be a a very impressive, like I said, a very impressive way to end the season if they are able to, you know, maybe pull off another twenty seven and fourteen record to to finish out the season, maybe jump up to thirty wins and and you know kind of secure that spot in the second seed because we all know how important that is. Like I mentioned, so now we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna get into our true or false segment of this one about the halfway point of this Raptor season. Stay tuned. And we're back. So now we're going to hop into the true or false segment here. It's going to be all about the Raptors team thus far. So the first true or false question here for you, Adam. True or false, this season has already exceeded expectations. Oh, true. Hell yeah, true. In the beginning of the year, (laughs) I did not anticipate this team playing this well, especially if you would have told me that um, they were going to have all these injuries sprinkled in the mix. I would have said they're doomed and they're going to be sellers at the deadline. I don't want to bury the lead there, but it, it definitely, no, yeah, definitely. Yes. True. hundred percent true. Um, do you think that even if they somehow lose in a first round season or in a first round series, sorry, this is still the case. No, if they no. lose in the first round of the playoffs, like that is reminiscent of old rapper Raptors. We set the standard, right? And I'm not saying that it's championship or bust. That certainly isn't the feel this year. But if we have a first round knockout, because consider like we were just talking about if they finish as the second seed, right? So if they finish as a second seed and they have to face like an Orlando Magic again or a Brooklyn Nets, like to me, you you should be winning that series no matter what. Like that should be a given. You have to win that series. Now, if they finish, if they lose out in the second round, sure, maybe like then I'm OK with it. But if you get eliminated in the first round, then the, the way I looked at this entire se- season has definitely flipped. Yeah, I I do agree with that. And even if they even if they drop to the four seed and they have to play the Sixers in the first round, I think that might be a bit of a. I don't know if I want to go as far as say disappointment, but like with how they have played up until this point, and if they do end up find somehow finishing in that fourth seed and having to play a Sixers team or a I don't know, depending how far certain teams fall out, like if. If it's a Celtics team that that fall to the five seed, or if it's the Pacers who jump up to the five seed, if they have to if they have to play them in the first round, I think it could go either way, no matter no matter the matchup in that one. Um, so I I agree that it would be a bit of a disappointment, but if they do come if they do come out in a two seed and lose to a a Nets or a Magic, then that's just 
that is that is really bad. That <laughs> would be a really bad look. So moving on to the second team, your second team. The second question: True or false? This Raptors team is more fun than last season's Raptors team. Uh, false, because it was really fun watching Kawhi Leonard, but true in the sense that this team has been exceeding expectations, so that's really fun to watch, right? So it's kind of like a both scenario, but for sure it's... Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just going to say false, because last year was just a joy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you. I'm gonna say true to this year, just because, and this is the main reason, is because there's not that, that overlooking. Is Kawhi Leonard gonna leave after mm. every game? After every single time it snows? After anything <laughs> that happens in Toronto? Um, is Kawhi gonna leave? Is Kawhi gonna stay? Oh no, Kyle Lowry missed three threes in this game. Is he gonna leave? Oh no, Siakam only had five rebounds instead of his eight average. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to leave every single time that the Raptors went into a playoff series. It was, they have to win this or Kawhi's leaving. They have to make it to the finals or Kawhi's leaving. Whereas this one, like you said, it's it's all about the expectations. And it's all about, you know, all of our players are pretty much going to be playing this year just because they're health well i mean when they're healthy they're all going to be playing there's no load management there's a lot of uh there's a lot of hard effort people like we mentioned terrence davis norm powell fred van fleet kyle lowry all those guys although they might have been on the team last year they're getting more of more exposure for the raptors fans and i think nick nurse is also able to experiment more and that's also been a part partly because of the injuries but i mean i think it's just like a a a a feel good season and you don't have the like I said the expectations of it's championship or bust it's finals appearance or bust or you know there's no looming you know doomsday kind of thing whereas last year it was kind of always about we have to look at what Kawhi Leonard is going to do in the offseason whereas this year you can really just like appreciate what's going on in the moment and you can appreciate how Siakam has taken a huge step where I don't think we would have necessarily had that appreciation if he did the if he did it last year where Kawhi Leonard was on the team. Does that make sense? Totally. And I guess like the best way to put it is that it's certainly less stressful than exactly. last year. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. And like like you said though, like obviously a team making a championship run and, and being in the discussion for a championship run is the pinnacle of all fandom. So maybe, you know, if we didn't have that opportunity last year if they didn't end up winning the championship last season if they you know maybe they Kawhi Leonard misses that shot and and we get out in the second round maybe it's a different feeling towards the season and maybe last year's team was more fun because it felt more legit but as of this year and and having the the championship under the belt I think you know you're able to appreciate more stuff this year which I think is like I think that can't be understated because you know there's guys like Pascal Siakam and OGN and who have taken a step, and we mentioned Norm Powell and all these guys. So, like, that's the only reason I think this Raptors team is more fun. And then, you know, it'll it'll just be getting more fun as they all turn into superstars in front sure. of our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so our third question here, Woj yesterday said that the Raptors are going to be looking to add a piece somewhere. He didn't say what type of player, who is in the running. He just said that they're going to be looking to make a move at the trade deadline. 
So, Adam, true or false, the Toronto Raptors need to add one more piece to bolster their offense. Keyword, their offense, to be a real contender. True, right? And we see these these third and fourth quarter collapse uh, games quite often. Like, just look at San Antonio. Um, look at the game against the first game against OKC. Um, they need a, a closer, for lack of a better way to put it. They need someone to, you know, really be the dagger in this offense because a lot of the times those shots just aren't falling. Um, we need a reliable person to to really push this team uh, into the right direction. Not that they're in, heading in the wrong direction, but they could definitely use the support. Um, the only issue I have with it, though, that if you're going to get one of those killers, uh, it's going to take someone to to be removed from the Raptors squad that's valuable, that we find valuable right now in order to get the deal done. So I'm thinking of guys like Norman Powell. I'm thinking of guys like OG Ananobi that, you know, maybe even a Terrence Davis, not that he's that impactful in terms of the future of this team, but like those other aforementioned two, um, you would definitely hate to part with guys like that. But if you really want to push your offense forward, you kind of need to give those types of players up. Yeah, I agree. And like I to me, I like so I'm saying true for this as well. It's just like emotionally, I don't want it to happen just because, like you said, you're going to have to give up somebody that we've kind of fallen in love with this year. As I mentioned in the the this team being more fun than last year's, it's just like it's a feel good season and everything seems to have gone right thus far with this team. And it's because of the guys like the Norm Powell's or the Terrence Davis, or the OGs who would have to be dealt in a in a move to get someone who will really bolster the offense for the Toronto Raptors. And I don't know who, obviously, who they'll go for or what kind of player they're looking for because they do have some relatively solid three-point shooting on the on the team already in a Matt Thomas and with Pascal Siakam shooting just under 40%. And OG had a really hot start, not shooting the ball as well. But then you have Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry, which is essentially what a lot of teams are looking for these days in a bolster for the offense. And I, I just don't know where they're going to be looking to get an addition like that. Like, is it going to be a inside presence, someone who is a big man who might be a better scorer than a Serge Ibaka or who might be a better uh, scorer than a Marcus All, who can do things that they can't and open up the floor for the three-point shooters? Or are they going to look to obtain a a a guard to, to get the offense going? Or are they going to look to do all these other things? And I just don't know if you can really be so into that just because we haven't seen this team healthy so whatever this team has done thus far outside of the winning you don't know if it's legit like are they still going to struggle the same way when you have Siakam, Lowry, Van Fleet, Gasol and you know whether it's OG or Norm Powell or whoever is out there Ibaka is out there are they still going to struggle offensively and I think you do need to see and it's a good thing that these guys are coming back now and they still have about a month to kind of figure out you know what the real what the what the real piece is that they need to be able to take that next step offensively but we saw them in the first part of the season when you know when the Lowry injury occurred and and when it was Lowry and Abaka out the team was still hovering around the 10th best offense and when you have the second best defense i don't know if you necessarily need a top five offense as well. I mean, it obviously, you're never going to say no, but is it going to take a piece that is going to hinder your defense? And that's kind of where I think that they shouldn't 
go and get a piece to bolster their offense. I think it would, though, right? I think that's exactly what it would take. But the the encouraging thing about that is that if you if being the second best defensive team, if you remove just one element of it, what would you consider the drop off to be? Like maybe they go from second to like fifth or sixth. Like I don't know that that's necessarily that huge of a detriment in order to make like a nice postseason run. Um, but you're certainly right when it comes to like having the team fully healthy. Like, yes, we have a, a decent amount of time, but when you look at it, I think the trade deadline's February 6th or thereabout. If it's February yeah. 6th, it's yeah. the 6th. So you have 10 games for a fully healthy team to figure this out. 10 games. That's not a large sample, right? And if you have these guys fully healthy for 10 games, Messiah is a serious decision to make, right? And he needs to make like something that's a little bit more calculated than than he normally would at the trade deadline because, you know, for as much as we like to complain about the offense, for a good reason, I still think the best course of action, even though I do think they are one player away to making, like, a substantial push, I still think the best course of action is to sort of sit on your hands and do nothing. Like, I know that sounds, like, really counterintuitive to Raptors fans, especially having this dialogue that you and I just did, but <laughs> I don't know that, you know, removing players with, like, some sort of stability for the long term, like a Norman Powell and an OG and an Obi, is worth it. I really don't. And I really think that, like, if you have... Because next year is, like, a huge question mark as to where this team is going to go and, like, what bodies will still be present. And if you trade away an OG Ananobi and or Norman Powell to get a deal done, that leaves so much uncertainty for next year as well. And I know people are like, no, let's not think about next year. Let's just focus on right now. But, you know, given the uncertainty of what's going to happen next year and into the 2021 season, I still think that's valuable to have some sort of certainty moving forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And and going back to your point of, like, if they lose a piece, they're, are they really going to lose that much of a defensive capability going from maybe second to fifth or second to sixth? Like, how what kind of player are you going to get where you're going to jump up from, I don't know, 14th in offense to, what, like seventh? Is that what people are expecting? Because that's yeah, it's not you're happening. not going to be... You know, like that's not going to happen. There's the the offenses in today's NBA are just are just too good to jump from 14 to seven with just one move, and and then it'll take even more out of your defense. And I think with this team, the identity has been their defense. It has been the the grit, and I don't want to say grit and grind because that's a Memphis thing, but that's kind of what they that's kind of what they're doing as as a team and as an organization as of right now just because a lot of hard workers a lot of guys who are trying to prove themselves in the nba right now whether it's siakam who needs to make that leap or gasol being the veteran who is trying to show that he's still got it same with Ibaka, same with lowry kind of thing so i mean yes it would be nice um to to get somebody but i don't know if there's somebody who is going to be impactful enough on the offensive end to really say yeah let's give up an og or yeah let's give up a norman powell who like you said are relatively big parts of the future with this organization if, if they do stick stick around so the in theory i like the idea but in practice it's probably not going to be that simple for us to really talk about i think yeah i agree so moving on to our fourth question, second last here, true or false, Pascal Siakam is a top 10 player in the NBA. <sighs> My gut wants to say no. He's definitely, I think it's, he's a top five in the East for sure. 
But like, are we talking only healthy bodies at the current moment or just the entire conglomerate of the NBA? So I, I would say like this season. So like we know Kevin Durant's not playing this season. Steph Curry is, you know, not likely to play this season. So like guys who have played this season and like you can, you can throw a Joel Embiid in there kind of thing with that. But like, I would say, yeah, more, more so healthy, like no KD, no Steph, those kind of guys. Okay, then, yeah, I would put him in a top 10, right? Because, like, the obvious contenders in front of him are the Kawhi, probably PG, LeBron, AD. Um, you put um, Embiid in front of him, and you could probably put Jimmy in front of him for the way he's been playing this year. But otherwise, like, you know, Luka is ahead of him. Giannis is ahead of him, so we're up to eight right now. Um, yeah. I wouldn't put Tatum ahead of him, personally. I wouldn't put Kemba ahead of him, personally. Um I, 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 who else are you putting? Maybe Jokic you want to put in front of right. him? Yeah, Jokic so could be up there. Yeah. Nine? I, maybe he's hovering right at that 10 spot. Like, it's really difficult because it, it depends on how you want to evaluate everyone else. Like, Harden? You putting Harden at 10 right now? Okay. So, yeah, in that aspect, you're, you're removing Siakam. Um, it's really tough to say. So, you know, listing off those 10 right there, I kind of got to lean no, he's not a top ten or the top ten player right now. Yeah, and like, cause Bill, so Bill Simmons at the beginning of the, not really the beginning of the season, but like close, closer to you know twenty game ish mark. I think it was twenty five games. They talked about their top ten players, and they had Pascal Siakam at number seven, which was to me at the time I said on the podcast that it was a bit ridiculous because you know he's never been the best guy on a really 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 good team and he despite having the impact of maybe one of the best guys on a really 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 good team with the Toronto Raptors this season you haven't seen him in a scenario where he's the best guy in a playoff series or he's the best guy without a you know a guy as good as Kyle Lowry as good as a second player as Kyle Lowry and as good of a supporting cast as the Raptors have this season. So as much as I want to put him in the top 10 player kind of ranking, I think he's, I think he's close to the conversation for it. Like we said, but you know, his average is 24.2 points a game, 7.6 rebounds, 3.6 assists on, you know, 45 from the field and 39 from three. Like those are, you know, top 10 player numbers. And I think you should also look at how the fans are interacting with a Pascal Siakam type guy in the sense that, like I said, he's the second most voted in the Eastern Conference. And I know the Eastern Conference isn't as stacked as a as a West, uh, you know, with the LeBrons and the Lucas and, and all the guys that we mentioned there. But there's still Giannis, there's still Embiid, there's still Jimmy Butler. And I think a big thing about being a top X player, top 10, top five, top 15 player in the NBA is the fan recognition and the fans wanting to watch you and the fans recognizing that you're really good, right? Because if, if it's all the analytic people and it's all the, all the people who watch basketball for a living who are saying, yeah, Pascal Siakam's a top 10 player in the league, you can, you can take that with, with what it is. And it, it probably means more, but when the general consensus is that yeah, Pascal Siakam should be a starter in the in the NBA All Star Game, where you know they're they're posting Pascal Siakam highlights on House of Highlights. You know, it it does kind of signify that 
that he's at least close to the conversation for a top 10 player in the league. And he was in the MVP discussion for the first couple months of the season. And that was really cool. So, you know, he might not be in that top 10 player range, but he's definitely, you know, somewhere, if he's not in the top 10, he's somewhere in that, you know, 12 to 13 range, probably. Yeah. Like, do you put it this way and be honest? If the game is on the line right now, who on the Raptors do you want? Whose hands do you want the ball to be in on the Raptors to close it out, to like hit a game winning shot? Who do you want to take in that? Like, I, uh, I want to say Siakam because he's probably got the, the tools to do what he wants offensively, but I'm going to go with probably a Kyle Lowry, which might yeah. be. You know, just because I think he he's just been there, done that. And, you know, he is more composed probably than a Pascal Siakam. And he doesn't garner the more physical, more athletic players like a Siakam would. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying Kyle and like, dare I say, I'm also saying Fred. Like, I know that sounds a bit weird, but like to me, like not that I don't have confidence that Siakam can hit the shot. I certainly think he could. But in terms of, like, clutch moments, like, yes, you can reference, like, last year against the Phoenix Suns where Kawhi rested, uh, Siakam had that nice layup to, to win the game. Sure, but that was against the Phoenix Suns still. <laughs> like, and I, I'm thinking that in a clutch moment, I've seen Fred do it. I've seen Kyle Lowry do it. I haven't really reliably seen Siakam do it. Yeah, I agree. And I think for a Pascal Siakam to really jump into that, next tier of you know the top 10 he he needs to just get a little bit better on on the offensive end his defense is there it's I think it's waned a little bit from last season but that probably just has to do with you know his bigger load on the offensive end I don't think he got worse as a defensive player I just think the the way that they use him is different than last year and you know whether it's him getting to the rim more or drawing more fouls right Right. And then that is able to spread him out even more at the three-point line, give him even more open shots if you're going to be scared to to have him coming barreling down on you like maybe, you know, a Giannis Light would do, right? But with with him right now and, and his shot selection not necessarily being at the at the point that you probably want it to be at a, at this point with him being the number one guy, um, he, he, he is probably closer to not being in the top 10 than he is, you know, being in the top and and that's really for for Pascal Siakam. I I never thought we'd be having this conversation this year. So like, as much as we're saying, you know, he's not in the top ten. This shouldn't be a people shouldn't look at this as like a, a huge criticism towards him. We like we're not talking shit about Pascal Siakam. We love Pascal Siakam. I'm oh, speaking yeah. for you here, but I. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 for <laughs> but yeah, sure. like <laughs> he's on his way. He's getting there. He's just absolutely not there. absolutely. And the, the the crazy thing is, is that you know he really isn't that far from being a top 10 player and I think that more so than us saying that he isn't a top 10 player people should take away the fact that we're saying how close he is to that top 10 player so like that that's what I think is is more important and is more impressive about this season than kind of anything else has been with him for sure so moving on to our last question in this true or false segment Nick Nurse is already a top coach in the league I don't know if you want to say maybe a top five top three coach in the league True or false, Adam? Yeah, I'll, I'll put him in the top five. Yeah, I'll put him in the top five. Yes. 
Because, like, consider what he has to work with this year in comparison to last year. Like, yes, rookie coach winning a championship, but everyone's just going to lead on the notion that we had Kawhi Leonard on the team. So, okay, fine. Like, but now without him, given the fact that all these injuries that we've been talking about have, you know, been taking place, that he's been at a disadvantage, quote unquote, with his lock, uh, with his roster construction, rather. Um, the fact that he's still more than keeping his head above water and more than treading water here, uh, you got to uh, figure that this is a result of coaching, that this is a result of scheming, this is a result of, you know, hours and hours of studying other teams and focusing on their weaknesses and, you know, trusting his players and building that chemistry and rapport and relationship with his players. Um, absolutely. Like, do I think he's better than better than a Spolstra? No, I, I don't really. I'm not quite there. But I definitely think he's better than like a Brett Brown that people like to still harp on. I think he's better than a, than a Vogel. I think he's better than a lot of these coaches that people like to lean on. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's definitely a top. I'll put him in the top five right now in the NBA. Yeah, I'm there with you. And like, I don't necessarily think that a coach of the year award is necessarily the most the most talent as to like who is the the top ex coach in the NBA. NBA, but Nick Nurse has to be right up there in the conversation for Coach of the Year, if not leading the discussion, just because of, like you said, what he's done with this team and how he's able to motivate guys and how he knows and how he builds the rapport with guys who, you know, aren't necessarily the 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 top five on the team or the top seven on the team, and and guys who have come in who are new with Rondé Hollis Jefferson and and Terrence Davis and all the guys that we've talked about on this on this episode who have played really well and kind of been playing out of their head. And I think it this next half of the season, considering everyone is going to be healthy, knock on wood here, is that he's going to show off even more of his skills and even more of what he is capable of. Just because, like I said, in in the part about the injuries, is that he's going to experiment. He's going to try different things. He's going to try different lineups. We saw him pretty much bring the zone back into the NBA after yes. last year's finals. And I think you should, you know, it's the same thing. Like imitation is the highest form of flattery kind of thing. And and that's, I think you can look at this and you can look at how teams are utilizing it and how other coaches, other, not just other coaches, but other really good coaches. You see uh, Steve Kerr, he talked about them using the zone against the Houston Rockets. You saw Eric Spolstra used the zone against the Toronto Raptors, and you know we just weren't able to to beat it on that when we've talked about that earlier in in the season. But you know his experimentation and him thinking on the top of his head and him being able to decipher maybe what's going wrong in the game, I think, is one of the uh, most telling things about what kind of a, a coach he is, and and that it's so impressive. And you're right, he's not a Spolstra, he's not a Popovich, you know. He's but I think he should be considered up there with Brad Stevens and and with you know the Nate McMillans of the world just because he has been he has been so good this year and like the over exceeding expectations even more than anyone could imagine with the injuries and even if this was the even if there was no injuries and the Raptors had this record you would look at it and say wow they're exceeding expectations Nick Nurse is a damn good coach but then you look at it and say they've only played two or three games actually healthy Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the league. I think you can't even, I don't think you can look back on that or look past the fact that he's done what he has with the team that has been put out there. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, and I would even put him ahead of a Brad Stevens and that's not me with my anti Celtics talk here. I legitimately believe that because Brad Stevens has proven that he can lose a locker room 
Uh, so far, Nick Nurse has b- proven anything but, right? Like, we've heard stories of how he likes to have this giant elephant, and he puts it in the room, all right, let's get all our problems out. <laughs> he seems to be like a player's coach while still maintaining that sort of authority figure that's saying, like, I'm in charge here. Like, let me, you know, steer the ship. And that it's a really fine line to balance, and he does it very well. And I don't know that Brad Stevens has that presence, right? And I'm not saying he's not respected by his players, but he certainly isn't, like, an enforcer. He doesn't have that reinforcing voice to say, like, I'm in charge. I feel like that. So given that comparison to between him and Brad Stevens, I certainly think Nick Nurse is ahead of the game there. So it looks like... We are ending this true or false edition on a bang. Nick Nurse, you're one of the best. Pascal Siakam, you're one of the best. The Raptors team is obviously one of the best thus far, and hopefully they can do such and continue to do such going through the second half of this season. So we'll be right back in just a moment talking about last week's games and looking forward. So we're back. And like we do every single week, we're going to talk about the weeks that happened or the games that happened last week and the games that are coming up. So this past week, the Toronto Raptors played the San Antonio Spurs on Sunday, Wednesday, Oklahoma City Thunder, which they won 130-121. And then they played the Washington Wizards on Friday, which was last night, and won 140-111. Adam, which out of those three games was your favorite to watch, whether it was because of entertainment value or it was a big win? I know a lot of people want to say the DeMar game, because, like, obviously you're seeing it tomorrow, and it, it's really fun to see that again. And people like to get emotionally attached to that. But I'm going to go with the OKC game just because it was, you know, a test of, of uh, fortitude on the Raptors' behalf. And plus against that OKC crowd. Like, that OKC crowd is underrated pretty good and pretty loud. Um, and it was a revenge game aspect that I think the Raptors totally capitalized on, and they closed that out well, and it was sort of a nail-biter. So I'm going to lean towards that game at OKC for sure. Yeah, I uh, I like that game as well, but just to go against the grain here, I guess I'll do that, uh, the game in Washington last night, just because you always like seeing your team put up a, a big number, no matter whether it's against the Washington Wizards or if it's against the Milwaukee Bucks. You want to see them put up, uh, you know, 140 points in the game, and that's something that you can really you can really go back to and say, yeah, this is this is where they really kicked it into gear. And it's, it's a good sign where, you know, Pascal Siakam doesn't have to play 30 minutes. He can play 25 or 27, whatever it was. And all the starters can play a little amounts and still not have to come back in because of a late game push by the opposing team. So I like that one. Very entertaining. Um, you know, I was at the game on Sunday uh, and I probably should be saying that game, but like you said, I mean, you know, it's, it, it wasn't as an exciting return for Mar DeRozan as as it was last season. So I'm going to go with the Wizards. And so going into this next week, we'll start with tonight's game. They're going to be at Minnesota. Then on Monday, they're at Atlanta. Wednesday, they're at home playing the Philadelphia 76ers. And then Friday, they play the New York Knicks. Really only one tough matchup here. And even then, it's not exactly the worst because they don't have Joel Embiid with the Sixers. How do you think the team fares this week? What's their record? Let's go 4-0. Let's just do it. Let's just go forward. Yeah, man. Like they're playing Minnesota tonight and both teams are coming off of back to back, but the Raptors had their starters rest a little bit more. Not worried about the Atlanta game. I know it's an afternoon game because of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but whatever. I still think they'll they'll handle that. 
Philly? Ah, I'm not worried. Philly, like, without Embiid, as you mentioned. And, you know, yes, they've been playing pretty well without him, but still, I think the Raptors at home will take advantage of that. And we don't have to talk about the Knicks. I'm going 4 0. <laughs> yeah, I'm going 4 0 as well. And out of those four games, which one are you most excited to watch? You got to say the Philly game, just because of, like, yeah. the playoff aspect and yeah. coming back again. And it's just, that's the most exciting because, like, what team are you scared of, maybe besides Philly out of these four? So, yeah, the Philly game for sure. Yeah, I. Agree, and I also kind of want to. I want to throw in, you know, the Hawks and the Knicks, just because probably more so the Hawks, just because uh, the entertainment value is going to be there. Yeah, Trey Young is always a fun player to watch, and the Raptors are viable to put up 150 on the Hawks, and same thing with the Knicks, they can put up 150. And you know what? In fact, same thing with the Timberwolves. I think. I think Carl Anthony Towns is back, so that'll be fun to watch him go up against a um, a Serge Ibaka and a Marcus All. But you, you got to go with the Sixers in this one. See the Eastern Conference matchup they're likely going to face at some point, maybe in the playoffs if they get to the second round, or if um you know maybe they meet up in the first round. So that'll do it for this episode of the Raptors Rapture podcast. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Do whatever you can to go up and look at RaptorsRapture.com. We've got new content there every day after every game grades takeaways all that fun stuff and adam thank you so much for coming on as always at the end of every episode you can plug yourself what do you have going on right now uh well first of all i have a thank you for having me on i appreciate you <laughs> of course with you uh, hunter i appreciate it um you can find me on twitter at south of the six that is six i x at the end of it that's how you spell it um i'm always tweeting out on raptors game anytime there's breaking news uh, i'm always tweeting that out too um, random baseball stuff here and there. We don't really cover baseball anymore, but you know, when it comes to Blue Jays baseball, we do that as well for all you Blue Jays fans out there. I'm sure there's some sort of cross pollination. Um, but yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, subscribe to the podcast South of the six Hunter was on last week's episode. You can revisit that if you want to. I have another episode dropping tomorrow as of this recording. So Sunday, if, uh, whenever this recording drops, but, uh, thanks again for having me on, man. It's always a pleasure. Of course. And everyone go and follow Adam great follow on Twitter great podcast to listen to always has great guests always talking Raptors Blue Jays for you Jays fans out there so Adam once again thank you for coming on and as always at the end of every episode go Raptors